This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about hot chocolate. Yes! Because. Oh yeah, uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. As we record this, well no, as it comes out, if you're listening to it, the day it comes out. The next day, November 17th, is Life Day. Life Day? What's Life Day, Annie? Life Day is a celebration of life that was first started by the Wookiees on Kashyyyk, but then was adopted by the Empire at large. It involves wearing red, somehow walking in space, and a lot of other things that are inexplicable. But other foods as well, including the shock, the Bentha shock surprise, Wookiee cookies, oh, it's Wookiee ookies, excuse me, and oh. chocolate, I guess. Oh. All right. Yeah, sure. That was definitely a statement that made complete human sense. Yes. I... <laughs> yes. If you're listening and you're like, what? Then uh, I guess good for you. I don't know. Um, yeah. Congratulations. Uh, it's a Star Wars thing. It's a Star Wars holiday. Uh, it's from the infamous Star Wars <laughs> holiday special from 1979, which I believe I've watched more than anybody on this planet. Um, there is a Lego one that's very cute, uh, that Disney put out as well. And it's become a whole thing. It's kind of become a whole thing uh-huh. as a lot of Star Wars things tend to, tend to do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. And uh, I do have a like very geeky other reason that I always suggest hot chocolate um, when we talk about Star Wars. One, it's featured in Life Day. But two, one of my very, very favorite canon facts that has been canon before Disney bought Star Wars and after Disney bought Star Wars okay. is Luke Skywalker's very favorite drink is hot chocolate. <laughs> which I think is the cutest thing. He that loves it. Is so sweet. That <laughs> is like so... the dearest thing about that silly dear boy. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. He loves hot chocolate. And and one of my favorite fan fictions. <laughs> Uh, long story short, he ends up like injured and Darth Vader is taking care of him. And the Imperials are like, why is Darth Vader, he keeps making all these different hot chocolates. Um, wow. Of course, they don't know he's <laughs> making them try to win his son over. Mm-hmm. And he's like messing with the machine. And he just has this sudden realization, like, I can never turn my son to the dark side because there's no way a Sith is going to drink hot chocolate and get so much joy out of it. So I'm not going to try to do this anymore. And I'm going to wow. let, let him be and accept him. <laughs> It's adorable. That's amazing. Um, uh, yes. I did not know about that. So I'm. we're all learning things. We're all learning things today. <laughs> you are. And then one final <laughs> other thing um, is, I think I've said this before, one of my very favorite fan fiction tropes is Cinnamon Roll, which is just a sweetheart character. Um, and Luke is often written that way. Yeah. Um, so Samantha from Stuff I've Never Told You she created this cocktail for me called the cinnamon roll, and it is hot chocolate with coffee and rum and whiskey and huh. cinnamon and whipped cream. Oh and my it's, goodness. It's appropriate because it's like the fan fiction theme. But also, he <laughs> loves hot chocolate. <laughs> anyway, it's cute. <laughs> Uh, so yes, this was an Annie suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I do love, I love hot chocolate. I'm very, I have very nostalgic oh, memories yeah. of hot chocolate. Uh, yes. So I think we've been trying to do it forever. We have, we talked about it a lot in one of our episodes. I can't remember if it was chocolate or cacao maybe white chocolate because I I had like several instances and I bet you did too of like have we done this before yeah well the the thing is is that uh the the history of drinking chocolate like it was a drink before it was really anything else and so anytime that we've talked about chocolate which we've done any number of times uh you have Mm -hmm. to talk about that like yeah hot chocolate situation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh I have to admit that I'm only kind of like so-so on hot chocolate I mean like it's fine uh, it, it's it's nice. I do have some nice memories of it, but it's usually way too sweet for me and like too too much. Uh, mm. like like it like the amount of hot chocolate that I want to drink is like a double espresso amount, and probably not with like all of the stuff. I also like like dairy isn't the best for me. Now that there are like alternative milks that are often in play that might be a better exploration mm. for me and like you know you can always control your own sweetener level at home um but yeah certainly if someone else is making it i'm like oh i don't think i don't think that's for me that's gonna be like if i drink that you're gonna have to deal with me <laughs> yeah it, it is like it's very much a treat for me and i did like the swiss Smith's packets when i was growing up but yeah, that sure. was pretty rare i much prefer like i make the like kind of dark chocolate with salts. I like Ooh, to add salts and chili. Okay. 
yeah. chili powder in yeah. there, or the cinnamon, and that's that's more where I'm at. So there is a, a big world of taste of hot chocolate, but often what you do get is overly sweet. I would agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a hot chocolate race. I've talking about. I've spoken about this before. Band, you get a lot of hot chocolate. It's nice. Um. <laughs> Again, I literally cannot imagine. I don't like running, and I don't think that I want hot chocolate while I'm running. Or is it after? It's at I, the end. Okay. So it's sort of like your post. Like some people do chocolate milk. Sure. Race. This is like. And one time I ran this race, and it was like so cold. They said if you don't want to run it, you can just get the hot chocolate. They were literally <laughs> like, it's freezing. It's in January. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Which, yeah, National Hot Chocolate Day is January 31st. Okay. Um, so they do it around then. I do often get the hot chocolate song stuck in my head, which is from the Polar Express, and I've had it stuck in my head throughout doing this research. Um, I have not seen Polar Express, and I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm not going to subject you to it. But However, Great. the holiday special, yes. Um, <laughs> one day. <laughs> and then a real test, as I've said. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you can see our episodes on chocolate, yes, white chocolate, and chocolate sustainability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think even mole and marshmallows. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Sure. Uh, also, in a really weird way, um, probably American cheese. Um, and I'll, I'll explain more of that in a few minutes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, <laughs> post haste then. <laughs> Shall we get to our question? Mm-hmm. Hot chocolate. What is it? Well, uh, hot chocolate is a drink uh, made with or flavored like chocolate and consumed hot. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there are a lot of different ways to achieve this, and uh, personal preferences about the taste and consistency of the final product can differ quite a bit. But you're you're generally looking at heating some kind of base liquid, like like water or some kind of milk, into which you you dissolve some kind of sweetener and then stir in some kind of chocolate product, uh, be it a liquid, solid, or powder. You might flavor this with any number of other things to uh, complement or or contrast with the the roasty, floral, fruity, bitter flavors of the chocolate. You might add decadent toppings like whipped cream or marshmallows. And the result is, is warm and rich and can range from like sweet and creamy and smooth to, to sort of gritty and bracingly bitter, from thin to incredibly thick. It's like a chocolate bar in a mug, with the understanding that some bars of chocolate are like milk chocolate and very sweet, and some contain neither milk nor sugar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like soothingly invigorating. Um, it's like drinking Hall of the Mountain King. Ooh, yeah. Yeah? Does that yeah. make sense? Okay. It does to me. <laughs> it kind of like puts a pep in your step. Yeah. 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 But in a, mm-hmm. in, a, in a like familiar comforting way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have talked pretty extensively about chocolate in the aforementioned previous episodes. Yeah. Um, the important basics for today are that uh, chocolate is made from the seeds of the cacao plant, which have been dried, fermented, roasted, and ground. 
These seeds contain a lot of fats, uh, that's your cocoa butter, and a lot of other stuff, uh, starches and proteins and minerals and flavors, and that's uh, your cocoa solids. Manufacturers will separate out the cocoa butter from the solids and then recombine them in, in, different, um, in different ways and sometimes with other stuff to make bars of chocolate, which have a bunch of cocoa butter, or cocoa powder, which has very little cocoa butter. Hot chocolate is really an impressively wide category of drinks. Um <laughs> Like, you are usually starting with a base liquid, but is that water or some kind of milk? If it's milk, is it fresh or powdered milk? Is it fatty or skim? Is it dairy or otherwise? Uh, you're probably sweetening your hot chocolate, but how and how much? And then we get into the chocolate part. I mean, you know, you, you can grind prepared cacao beans or, or nibs, which are pieces of whole beans, uh, straight into hot liquid if you if you want to. Um most of the time, though, you're either melting in a chocolate bar or stirring in a cocoa powder. Um, there's also a whole market of prepared instant cocoa. Back to that in a second. Um, the interesting thing about all of this is that cocoa solids do not dissolve in water. Uh, like, the best you can do is, like, hydrate them enough to kind of suspend themselves throughout your base liquid but even then, they'll settle out fairly quickly. Um, like you've probably experienced this as sediment in the bottom of your cocoa cup. Furthermore, cocoa powder is tricksy because um, it contains just enough, uh, almost like cocoa butter residue, in each little particle of cocoa powder that the particles are hydrophobic. Um, they, they push away from water. You know, like oil and water do not mix, and they contain just enough oil to do that. You've seen this if you've ever like put a spoonful of cocoa powder into a cup of milk and watched it just immediately bead up into into like a like a flotilla of of dry pockets of powder on the surface. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So making a smooth cup of hot chocolate depends on tricking the cocoa particles into cooperating with you. Uh, the fact that you're heating them helps because that can uh, can can help melt the fats and allow the starches and proteins and the particles the freedom to uh, to loosen up and glom onto water molecules and thus get hydrated and thus suspend themselves in the liquid. Uh, you can also agitate the mixture. Uh, you know, whip stir, whip stir, yeah, yeah. Stir whip 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 stir whip stir. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> I still have no idea what that's about, but but Annie made us a D and D item that's totally the, the stir whip, the whipster, the whip. It's whipster. a whisk. It's a yeah. whisk. It's a heckin' D and D whisk. whisk. It, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like enchanted to like automatically whisk stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh -huh. <laughs> okay. So mm -hmm. you can you can agitate the mixture, <laughs> yes. um, which can like physically uh, uh, bump the fats around and, and let the water get at those solids and hydrate them. Um, and this is part of why traditional methods of making hot chocolate do include uh, whipping or, or frothing the mix. Um, partially because this can be such a pain, uh, there is, right, a whole market of instant cocoa, which can come in tubs or in like little single serving uh, foil lined packets, and those will stir more easily into hot liquid. 
This is accomplished by um, grinding down the cocoa really fine, um, adding emulsifiers that can help the water molecules and fat molecules play nice. Um, I've seen, I've seen, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't read the patent. I didn't read the patent before the we patent. got in here. Um, but I strongly suspect that much like, uh, much like instant coffee, there's been a few innovations surrounding that kind of technology with freeze drying, perhaps. Anyway, um, uh, instant cocoa often also contains some kind of thickener, um, like carrageenan that will make the final product feel creamy and smooth in your mouth, even if it doesn't contain a lot of fat. Um, because when you put fat into a, a shelf-stable product like that, it's going to decrease the the lifespan. So yeah. Um, some versions of instant cocoa have like fancy seasonings like you know, pumpkin spice or salted caramel or something like that. Mint. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I used to like Sometimes I would get the fancy packet with the flavors, and that oh, was a yeah. special day for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, the ones with the little freeze-dried marshmallows. Like, they're not yes. even real marshmallows, but they're so good. I love, 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 and we're going to talk about this later in the history section, how everybody wants to know about. Like, I was like, history of hot chocolate, and they're like, what about those marshmallows? The first result. <laughs> everybody is like, what about those? <laughs> Indeed. Oh goodness. Mm -hmm. Um uh but yeah, uh then then uh so so you've got you've got your basic hot chocolate. Uh other flavorings can be involved. Uh of course, good chocolate and or cocoa uh already has a lot of flavors. People add all kinds of other things though. Uh vanilla, cinnamon, nutmeg, clove, ginger, chili pepper, orange peel, aniseed, a little bit of salt, maybe some rum or bourbon or amaretto or whatever else you want. Um Something to thicken it, maybe like some ground seeds or nuts or corn flour or egg. And then toppings, uh, whipped cream, marshmallows, a scoop of ice cream, shavings of chocolate, sprinkles of seasonings. It can be consumed as a breakfast beverage or as you would to your coffee throughout the day or during like designated snack times or as an after dinner treat. I can't yeah. tell you what to do. It's true. It's mm -hmm. true. Back when uh, it would snow, the rare occasion it would snow here in Georgia when I was growing up, it would go out and play in the snow and you came in, got your hot chocolate. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm. yeah. That's good. That's good. Yes. Huh. Well, speaking of, what about the nutrition? Uh, you know, uh, this one, this this one's pretty solid, solidly a treat. I mean, it, it obviously depends on what you make your hot chocolate with. Um, if you've got a bunch of sugars in there, that's that's treat territory. Um, you know, it, it can be it can be fairly OK for you, though, if you know, you know, you watch watch those sugars like it, it can be calorically dense with the cocoa butter and the fats from whatever milk you may or may not be using. Um, yeah, treats are nice. Treats are nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it seems we are not the only ones that think so, because we do have some numbers for you. We do. Um, as of 2019, the global hot chocolate market was estimated to be worth some $3.2 billion and growing. Whew. Mm -hmm. And interestingly to me, and to a lot of people reporting on this, mm -hmm. um, hot chocolate seems largely immune to changes in demand. It's sort of a constant Okay. And people drink it all year round. Like the, there is a bit of a holiday bump, but they're not really. Um, huh? The, really? Yeah. I know, right? I found that very, very interesting. I think this was like um, this is from a study of like two thousand people. So you know, grain of salt. Sure, but, but people were pretty much like, yeah, I'll drink it whenever. Um, okay. 
Yeah. Uh, the industry, yes, is expected to grow alongside disposable income around the world. Mm -hmm. And analysts predict the next step in hot chocolate evolution is gourmet hot chocolates. And I saw it in some places called healthy hot chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy quotes, I would say. But, you know, yeah. fancier, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. That hot chocolate run that you do is actually part of like an event series across the United States. Uh, over a dozen cities uh, uh, throw one. And right, it's, yeah, this like corporately sponsored fun run that that has over 200,000 participants a year. And you get hot chocolate. Yes. And there's a chocolate fondue and a sweet coat. If you finish and the metal is like a chocolate bar. <laughs> I'm such a child. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's a good time <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, you're you're not the only one. Um, uh, certainly, there there are also a few hot chocolate festivals. Um, uh, one in Vancouver uh, is sort of spread throughout the city over the course of a month between like January and February, and uh, participating local shops feature their own take on the drink. They've been running since 2011. Uh, this year, there were 44 participating shops serving 106 different types of hot chocolate. 106, you say? Yes. Wow. Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, also, now, like like recently, within the past couple of years, I think, um, uh, Val Valrona? Never heard that out loud. Uh, yeah, they, they, they sponsor a similar thing in New York City. So, Yeah. Um, well, if, listeners, again, if you've been to any of these things. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Please let us know. And I did want to say here, before we get into the history, I found it really fascinating in this one. Um, and MASH had a great article about this where it was kind of detailing all the different ways people enjoy hot chocolate around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just so fascinating to see how different cultures and traditions and histories have fed into hot chocolate preparations and traditions around the world. So yeah. just a lot of back and forth culturally. Mm -hmm. um, it was really, really interesting. Uh, most of these episodes are, but that was, it was a graph. It was like a little chart. And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. Oh, oh wow. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. uh, right. We are going to get in to that history. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. 
the war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. back thank you sponsor yes thank you and again see our chocolate episodes mm-hmm. because there's there's a lot of similarities in oh, what yeah. we talked about in this and those and what we talked about here because as you said uh lauren the history of drinking chocolate is a long one um and i i'm going to be using hot chocolate and drinking chocolate interchangeably throughout this mm-hmm. but it was largely called drinking chocolate or even just chocolate <laughs> for a good chunk of its existence of its existence because mm-hmm. um, we didn't really have a way to process uh, cacao. So we drank it. Yeah. Anyway, um, archaeological evidence suggests that chocolate was being cultivated in what is now Mexico over 4,000 years ago and that folks were drinking it back then. Um, in fact, yes, for most of its history, chocolate has been consumed as a liquid of some type. Mm-hmm. Um, Eating chocolate in the form of bars and, and candies like that, that's fairly recent. Yeah. And it didn't really take off until the 1800s when more technology became available, which we are going to talk about a little bit more oh, yeah. later. Um, this is also, the 1800s is also when the term drinking chocolate started, the term started popping up more commonly in print. Because before that, it was assumed 
that it was for drinking. So he oh, didn't wow. have to specify yeah. Yeah. drinking chocolate. Yeah, it was just chocolate. Mm-hmm. Sure. Huh. Yep. Some sources credit the cultivation of cacao specifically to the Olmec civilization in Mesoamerica in 1500 BCE, somewhere around there. Um, and it spread quickly in this region and was adopted by peoples like the Maya. And because, yeah, there was no way to refine chocolate, uh, people would ferment the cacao and drink it. Uh, and the name for this liquid in some of these ancient languages essentially translated to bitter water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um And to cut the bitterness, things like vanilla, chili, or uh, magnolia were sometimes added into the mix. It was typically served frothy, both hot and cold, um, usually out of a pot. And it was beloved. uh, So much so, yeah, it was integral in many aspects of life for some of these civilizations. Um, The Mayans and Aztecs believed that the gods gifted humanity with cacao and as part of that, Uh, used it in many ceremonies and rituals. According to some sources, the Aztecs specifically may have viewed the beans as more valuable than gold and might have used them as currency. Um, It was thought to have medicinal properties, too, from general fortifying. Uh, And say it with me now, as an (laughs) aphrodisiac. (laughs) <laughs> um, and pretty much everything in between, including as a fuel for warriors. And I read somewhere like the cocoa butter was put on wounds. So it was. Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the time, women primarily made uh, hot chocolate and they guarded the recipes for special hot chocolates. Hmm. Because of women's roles in making hot chocolate and the beliefs some held that hot chocolate was a vehicle for spells and magic, some women who made hot chocolate were persecuted as witches for making the drink and murdered. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Spanish colonizers like Hernan Cortez observed chocolate in the Americas in the 1500s and quickly understood the potential that it had for Europe. It did take a minute. Like, colonizers did not like Hot chocolate at first. Uh, One Jesuit even wrote that the foamy consistency was like feces. Uh, But eventually, eventually it caught on. Yes. And Cortez transported some cacao beans and tools used to make this hot chocolate uh, back to Europe. Um, And there's a bit of a legend that a former botanist who turned into a pirate uh, named William Hughes returned from the Americas with detailed instructions and tips on making drinking chocolate, which at the time called for maize, milk, sugar, cacao, and even things like ambergris and nutmeg on occasion. And he called it the American nectar. Ooh. Uh, a new device appeared around this time, the uh, molinillo, which is a type of whisk that you, uh, you, you operate by placing the head of the device into the liquid that you want to whisk and then roll the handle between your palms, thus rotating the head within the liquid. Um, previous to this, hot chocolate was kept incorporated and, and, and frothy by pouring it back and forth between a couple of pots. Uh, researchers think that this device might have been developed by Spanish colonizers who wanted to drink hot chocolate, but also wanted to sort of like separate themselves from the indigenous culture a little bit. Like, oh, I don't want Mm -hmm. to do it the way that you do it. I do it this fancy way. Anyway, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, uh, whatever the provenance, um, Molinillos would uh, develop over the centuries into these really beautiful carved wooden pieces, um, sometimes with like moving parts and all kinds of interesting carved nooks and crannies to, to help froth your chocolate. Yes. Um, but 
as all this is going on, Europeans continue to be kind of hesitant around hot chocolate yeah. when it arrived. And I think it took like um, a century almost um, when they started adding sugar into it. And then they were like, oh, okay. Because, you know, this makes it sweeter, less bitter, also makes it more expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was already at a pretty steep price point for a lot of people. Um, the importation of cacao was heavily taxed in Europe. And though hot chocolate was available, especially in Spain, where you could buy it um, from like street vendors, hmm. it was just financially out of reach for most people, especially when compared to cheaper tea and coffee. So maybe you see this menu has got like a hot chocolate, very expensive tea and coffee, much cheaper. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what people would go go for. So hot chocolate became something of a status symbol at this time in Europe. Um, and the well-off did enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, quite a bit. One famous example is King Louis XIV, who received chocolate as a wedding gift from his bride and appointed a royal chocolatier who made hot chocolate with the stamp of the monarchy on it. Um, I'm not sure how that works, but that's what I read. So somehow the stamp of the monarchy was involved on this. Maybe, maybe on like maybe on like the 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 serving set or something. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought too. Um, Mary Antoinette allegedly bought her own uh, chocolate maker to court as well. Uh, the love the rich had for hot chocolate also resulted in one of my very favorite rabbit holes that I didn't really have time to to go down, but I would love to. In these very ornate expensive chocolate pots. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some of these included a hole in the lid. You'd place your, your molinillo in the pot and then place the lid down over it and then froth. Um, some of these uh, had like had like inlaid ivory. Um, the pots themselves were sometimes made of silver or like gilded porcelain. Um, right. You might get a set with your family crest done on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look up pictures. <laughs> they're pre- they're pretty glorious. Mm-hmm. They are. Uh-huh. Uh, but the price and bitterness weren't the only reasons that Europe was a bit wary of hot chocolate. The church, capital C church, oh. uh, worried that it wasn't appropriate uh, for children to drink it. Uh, actually, they, they kind of debated about it for everybody, but especially children. Um, okay. While at the same time, doctors were touting it as, you know, this medicinal thing that could help children. They even recommended using it to mask the taste of bitter medicines. Huh. Um, ultimately, the doctors won out in the heavy quotes because, you know, the drink became viewed as kid friendly, but not necessarily for the health reasons huh. yeah. <laughs> the doctor prescribed prescribed to it. Um, European religious folk have, yeah, they've long argued about hot chocolate. Uh, I think we talked about that in one of our chocolate episodes. As legend has it, one bishop was sent poisoned chocolate after attempting to stop women from drinking it at a Mexican church because it was kind of seen as like a, you know, you drink your hot chocolate in church. Uh, it was kind of a ritualistic huh, yeah. or, you know, like a gathering element sure. of it. Huh. Um and at least one pope, I think multiple popes, but at least one weighed in on whether drinking hot chocolate during fasting was acceptable. Oh, there's sure. a lot of like, but we could drink that we could still drink this, right? But right, but still the but still the hot chocolate, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um well, uh uh despite whatever any of the popes had to say about it, the popularity of this drink did spread. Um in places like London, you could get, yeah, like a hot chocolate at like a posh coffee house, um, and a dedicated chocolate house 
opened in 1657. Uh, apparently, just a tiny bit, like a couple dec- decades later, uh, William III was super fond of hot chocolate um, and had a dedicated chocolate kitchen built into the um, Hampton Court Palace. Wow. Can you imagine going to the, like, contractors? (laughs) (laughs) I need, it's just a chocolate (laughs) kitchen. (laughs) This is crucial. Don't mess it up. Yeah. This is the heart of everything. (laughs) Um, When European colonists arrived to the Americas, they often tended towards flavors and foods that reminded them of Europe. Uh, So chocolate was somewhat of an exception in this case because it was new to most Europeans because they hadn't been able to afford it Mm -hmm. in Europe. Um, But this wasn't the case in North America, given the origin of cacao, it's much closer. Um, The closeness and relative affordability of sugar from the Caribbean, largely provided through the forced labor of enslaved peoples. Yeah. Um, So it it just became this thing where it's like, oh, I can afford this now. Um, People adopted it pretty quickly. Uh, George Washington allegedly often drank warm chocolate cream for breakfast, as it was called. I think there's a recipe book you can buy from Mount Vernon uh, that has this recipe in it. Um, But uh, at the time, this drink often consisted of warmed milk and or water, grated chocolate and sugar, sometimes with additions like brandy, because of course, (laughs) uh, chili powder, vanilla or allspice. It was viewed as something... Uh, like a health drink, uh, bordering on what we might call a performance drink or energy drink in our modern parlance. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like a high-calorie food that didn't spoil. I'm assuming that was when milk wasn't a part of the equation. Um, But I read that in several places, too, that it it could keep for a long time. So it was popular in that way, too. Um, In 1761, Benjamin Franklin recommended hot chocolate for smallpox. So still, yeah, a lot of these health things attached to it. Yeah. It was easy to transport, and so it was a popular option for soldiers. Um, In fact, there's a long history of cacao rations and hot chocolate and American soldiers from the Revolutionary War to World War II. And a lot of it had to do with boosting morale. That was frequently the reasoning given behind uh, why it should be provided. The first U.S. chocolate factory was established in Massachusetts in 1765. But okay, um... What we've been talking about so far is not hot chocolate as most of us, here in the U.S. at least, would know it. Um, It was a thicker, frothier, less sweet, more chocolatey beverage. Yeah, Um, probably a little bit like oilier because what you were dealing with was, yeah, suspension of these cocoa solids in your milk or your water. um, And and then those the, the, the cocoa butters would have been a lot more prominent. Right. It was often essentially... A sometimes sweetened, sometimes not melted chocolate <laughs> with a texture bit much thicker. Um, this changed in the 1800s with Conrad Johannes von Houten's invention of the cacao press that could make cocoa powder. Um, so very basically, these powders were the result of removing most of the cacao butter from the beans and then drying and processing the remaining solids. Yeah, uh, this fundamentally changed The hot chocolate landscape, not only making it easier to make, but even more affordable, too. Yeah. uh, And this is also pretty much where we got the modern concept of the chocolate bar 
from um, because it mm-hmm. wasn't really possible until we could m- more uh, more effectively separate out the cocoa butter from the cocoa solids. Uh, another thing that uh, that this dude and or some of his contemporaries innovated uh, was alkalizing the cocoa to make it less acidic. Um, that that makes it taste less bitter and also makes it look darker in color. And can I go on like a sort of science sidebar here? Please. Okay. All right. So a thing, a thing that I couldn't quite work out um, is whether this alkalized, I sometimes called Dutch processed cocoa, um, actually disperses better into water than untreated cocoa. Okay, so so right, alkalized cocoa is is treated to make the cocoa less acidic. Um, and the common belief has been that this also makes it somehow more soluble or at the very least better at dispersing in water. But researchers modernly working in chocolate production have reported that like the only way it could really do that is if you're if you're basically making like little molecules of soap um, by making the, the the alkali substance interact with fatty acids in in the cocoa mixture. Uh, and that isn't what you would want because it would taste soapy. Um, <laughs> but I'm also wondering whether untreated cocoa being more acidic would make the particles more likely to to clump together and resist hydration. Kind of the way that like adding an acid to milk makes the particles clump together to eventually get, you know, yogurt or cheese or whatever. Um, anyway, I could not find anything about that. Uh, pure conjecture. Uh, <laughs> and certainly, however, um, one thing that I do know is that because Dutch process makes cocoa darker in color, it tricks you into thinking it tastes richer or like otherwise more flavor- flavorful, even though it's like technically less flavorful. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, humans. Yeah. Oh, so easily tricked. Yep, yep, <laughs> we are. That's uh-huh. That's just part of part of the package. Mhm. <laughs> mm. Well, speaking of the huh. package, uh hot chocolate innovation did not stop there. Oh no. Mhm. In the 1950s, the Santa Dairy Engineers Company was looking to pivot from making powdered creamer that they'd been contracted to provide to soldiers during the Korean War. Uh, so when the war ended, the company instead started focusing on developing a powdered hot chocolate. Okay. Uh-huh. They combined powdered creamer, sweeteners, and cocoa powder, put it into packets, and voila, instant hot chocolate. Um at first, they largely sold to hotels and airlines, but <laughs> it was a frequently stolen item, a very like hoarded. So you'd go to a hotel and you'd take all of them. Uh, so <laughs> the company started selling them in stores under the name Swiss Miss in 1961. <sighs> so wild. I know. In order to increase the shelf life, they switched uh, to a non fat creamer. And yeah, the instant hot chocolate industry. Took off. Mm-hmm. This also happens to be when I, I'm guessing related when hot chocolate pot production pretty much died. Yeah, they were like, "Oh, now people would just make it instantly." They don't yeah, they don't pots. need a whole pot. Yeah, yeah. And if we had had time, there's a whole world of like twenty seven thousand dollar hot chocolate pots. Oh yeah, I, I'm telling you. <laughs> Similar, not since our spoon episode yes. have I seen so many. Like, like completely niche 
(laughs) wonderfully, beautifully niche uh, Mm -hmm. corners of the internet dedicated to this type of specialty product. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. Um, And okay. also, as I mentioned at the top, people seem very, very interested when the marshmallows got added into the equation Uh of hot chocolate. Yeah. (laughs) It is like literally one of the first results I got. (laughs) Um, So briefly, roundabouts 1917, uh, marshmallow companies were advertising all the ways marshmallows could be used to ratchet up their popularity. We talked about that a lot. You know, when companies release like the magazines that have all of these recipes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Including one, Lauren, for cold lettuce mayonnaise and marshmallows and i can't abide by that i can't no. abide by that no um. i like all of those things and i don't want that <laughs> um but yeah one of the ways of using these marshmallows one of the recipes they came up with was as a topping to hot chocolate and there are thermodynamics involved and scientists have looked into them <laughs> Okay, uh, y- yes, yes, putting thermodynamics right here. One more note about about this this marketing material because it was a company called Angelus Marshmallows specifically, which is a Buffy fan I just had to mention. Um, yeah. This was also where we got the, um, the idea of using marshmallows uh, as a topping for sweet potato casserole. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, but back to the thermodynamics of marshmallows on top of hot chocolate. Okay, so... Um, Popular Science Magazine uh, posed this super interesting question. When you put marshmallows on top of hot cocoa, does it cool down the cup by absorbing some of that heat, thus melting the marshmallows? Um, Or do the marshmallows help keep it warm by insulating the the surface of the hot cocoa from ambient airflow? Hmm. Mm -hmm. I have no answer for you. They they like consulted like a thermo thermodynamics researcher and the dude was like, well, you know, without really doing some experiments, I can't tell you. Wow. Well, get on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, right, like they are going to cool down the cocoa like in the immediate term, but whether or not they insulate it over a long term enough to make up for that fact um, in some kind of meaningful way uh, <laughs> is really the question. It's a very important question. Very important question. I'll say when I put, when I get fancy and put like actual marshmallows in my hot chocolate, I feel like they melt and then they kind of, there's a flavor dynamic going on, but they kind of slow you down in drinking it and they have like that layer on top. I have no idea if that has anything to do with heat, Um, but there's something is happening here. Something is happening here. Um, I will also say, because what I suspect people mean when they are searching, like, how did marshmallows get it? They're talking about, like, the freeze-dried. Right. That come in the Swissmas packets. Yeah. Yes. Surprisingly, very little to be found about that. I would assume it happened pretty quickly in, like, the late 60s, 70s, because that's when that kind of stuff was happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now now I don't remember from our marshmallow episode and I didn't look it up uh when like the freeze-dried marshmallows in cereal thing happened mm-hmm. and all of that, but I believe it was sometime in like the late 60s early 70s. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, well, there's no way of knowing right now. No. We'll no. <laughs> I'm telling you, I specifically searched for it and I couldn't find it. Um hmm. we'll have maybe to come it's back one of those it. things where it's just like 
Nobody knows. knows. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, maybe one of you listeners know. Please write in. Yeah. Um, And this brings us to our TikTok fact of the day, (laughs) which I guess is a new thing. It's becoming pretty common now. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Torres Garcia uh, posted a TikTok in 2019 of a cocoa bomb or hot chocolate bomb. So basically to make these, you pour hot milk or water over the sphere of chocolate and it opens up to reveal marshmallows and it makes hot chocolate. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd heard of this. I've never actually seen it in action, but I had heard of it. Uh, he wasn't the first to do it at all. It was featured on Oprah's Favorite Things in 2018. Um, but he certainly popularized it when his post went viral. And the video has over 2.6 million views. Ooh. And I bet that's, I bet it's gone up since then. Sure. Um, so, yeah. Uh, TikTok. You know, these things go viral. <laughs> yeah. And then you can't find feta cheese. And then... <laughs> That's just <laughs> that's my TikTok still, wisdom. <laughs> oh, I still haven't made that dang pasta. Oh, I need to. It's really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think this is what we have to say. What we have to say about hot chocolate for now. I think it is. Um, uh, we do have some listener mail for you, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts We're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listener. Wow, that got that's intense. A, that's the song at the end of the holiday special. I wanted to do B authors just one more round, friends. Then gather round, friends. But anyway, you haven't seen it, so we're gonna have to fix this, Lauren. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. I need to watch the holiday special. Okay. I'm an in. Hour I'm in. and twenty. An hour and twenty minutes of asking. Oh my goodness. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> also, I forgot to say, listeners, if you have any hot chocolate recipes, please write in. Oh, always. I'd love to hear about your preferences. Yeah. Um. Oh, and if you do a holiday special thing, which I am preparing for mine. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. If you have life day plans, let us know. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, but in the meantime, we continue to torment you listeners by describing <laughs> pictures that you cannot see and are adorable. Um, but you all came through so much and you mm-hmm. sent us these super cute pictures of your pets in costume. <laughs> mm-hmm. Adorable. All right. So we're starting with Evan. Evan wrote, here's Archer. He plays shortstop for the San Diego Padres. No (laughs) ball can get past him. Archer was compensated for his modeling with a large carrot. (laughs) And Archer, he looks, I mean, he fits the part. Oh, yeah. He's in a little, a little... Outfit, like baseball outfit, baseball cap. Yeah, he's got a jersey. He's got the little cap. Um, he looks he looks very serious about his he job. Um, he's mm-hmm. he's a, he's a bit he's a, he's a bigger bigger dog, and he's a heckin' good doggo. That is what I can yes. tell you about this. Yes, I wouldn't mess with him. He like I I don't think I could get a ball past him at all. No, zero percent. <laughs> oh heck. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Janelle wrote, hello, ladies. Love your podcast. I wanted to share my food-themed Halloween costumes for my two doodle friends. And, okay, attached are two doodle dogs of some kind, and they're dressed as cobs of corn. Yes. And... It's it look it looks like the kernels were maybe made with like a with like a pool noodle that's been cut up 
Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and then it's got the husks all on their on their butts, and mm-hmm. they're doing yeah. a really. Everyone involved in this the, these photographs is doing a really good job. That's excellent. Fantastic. I mean, yeah. What can we say? But this is just brilliant. Brilliant. It's <laughs> so cute. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. Um, so yes, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who have been sending these pictures. Thanks to these two listeners. Yeah. Um, and yes, keep them coming. If you would like to contact us, you can. You can email us at hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at First first Listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.